Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi, everyone. I hope you're all doing well and that you are not melting because it is way too hot out there. I know I say that a lot, but really, it's unbearable. Like, it's hot all day, all night. I can't sleep. Even when I'm doing nothing, I'm sweating. Like, I don't know what to do. So, yeah, I hope you're right. Let's just pray that the summer is nearly over. Well, it's not, technically, because we're only at the beginning of August. But just, you know, let's pray that it can get a little bit cooler. To be honest, I'm just waiting for autumn and winter right now. But we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about episode two of season three of Downton Abbey that I called the one with the missing shirts. I love this episode. It's really funny. There's not much angst in it, so I like it. Because like I said, season three, way too angsty, but not now. So I just appreciate the fact that we have really nice and funny, a bit lightweight episodes, you know. I just appreciate it before the angst arrives. So let's just start, shall we? I'm going to start with Anna and Bates. Because there's not much happening for them in this episode. Really sorry about it, but there's not much. But there's not too much angst either. So, you know, usually when there's a lot happening, there's a lot of angst with them. So I don't know which, which I prefer, but anyway. So in this episode, actually, Mary and Matthew are back from their honeymoon. So Anna is back too. So she's going to see Bates. And at first they talk about the address book. You know, the address book that she found and she asked Bates to tell her who were the people in it. And so she sent letters to all of them. And there are two letters that have been returned. One of them is a Mrs. Bartlett. And Bates said that it's a shame because she was a really good friend of Vera. So it, it's a shame that she didn't get the right address because maybe she could tell her something. But then she says that she will find her. And well, if Anna says that she will find her, she will find her. But then they talk about France, about how it was, because Mary and Matthew went to the south of France for their honeymoon. And he asked her, Did you eat frog's legs and dance the can-can? No, but I bought a garter. I love this first because I love the cliche, you know, frog's legs and can-can. But I like it with her little naughty look, like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny. Too bad that he's in prison and he can't enjoy the garter right now. Then when she comes back to see him, she says that she found Mrs. Bartlett. So she sent her a letter. But Bates, he tells her that he doesn't think that Mrs. Bartlett would like to see Anna because she was the closest thing to a friend for Vera. And so, you know, since Anna is married to like Vera's ex-husband, well, technically it's actually not her ex-husband. But anyway, he said, I'm not sure that she wants to talk to you. So, well, I don't know. And she says, well, I have money so I can use it. I can, I can give her money just to talk to me. And then he asks what's happening at the house. And Anna, she tells him, well, the troubles <laughs> that there is, you know, the lost money and the fact that they might sell Downton. And he says he's really sad. And a part of me thinks that, well, first he's sad because selling Downton, you're like, how can you say that? But, you know, he's friends with Robert. And so it's not just you're going to sell Downton. It's like it's Robert who is the one who made the mistake and lost the money. And because of him, they have to sell. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. In prison, we had Bates and Anna. That's almost all we had. And now we have something new, like an intrigue in prison. Because we see a weird traffic going on between Bates' cellmate and a guard. And Bates sees that, obviously. And then when they're together in their cell, the guy is threatening Bates. And so Bates, well, he's starting to be a bit violent and he's threatening him back. I told you, in prison, it's the return of scary Bates. I'm sorry, but he really has something really dark in him. Well, I mean, maybe you need it when you're in prison because if you do like two uh, cinnamon roll, you might be eaten alive. So uh, obviously something will come out of it because we know we do not see things that are completely useless. So this little traffic, we want to see it. Something will happen around it. Bananas. Now, let's talk about one of my favorites, Mrs. Hughes. At the moment, Mrs. Hughes, she wants to speak with Mrs. Papmore. And you see that she's a bit anxious. Like, you know, you see that she's not 
completely well when she asked Miss Babmo if she has time because she wants to talk to her. And then they're together. Apparently, Mrs. Hughes has a lump in her breast. And so she asked Mrs. Papmore to confirm it. And well, she thinks it might be cancer. And she's really worried. And Mrs. Papmore said, well, you should go to the doctor. Like, you need to. Because it's better to know than just to wait, you know. She even made a joke about, like, if you have to pay money, it's best to do to a doctor than an undertaker. Which, well, is quite true. <laughs> I love it because she says, you don't have to be alone. If you want me to go with you, I can come with you. So together they go to Dr. Clarkson. And so he says, yes, there's something, but right now it doesn't need to worry before we know what it is. And so he says that she would need to come back because he we want to take some fluid from the cyst. And then if it's clear, it's all right. But if it's not, then they will have to send the sample away for analysis. But deep down, he said, I don't think it is cancer. Like, it's not likely. I mean, it might have a chance, you know, that it can be, but he doesn't think it is. Oh, and then Mrs. Papmore, she... She says to Mrs. Hughes, There you are. It's very, very unlikely, isn't it, Doctor? If the doctor treats me like an adult, Mrs. Patmore, why do you insist on treating me like a child? I love it. And I also love in this um, conversation, Mrs. Patmore, you see, he feels like she's almost more worried than Mrs. Hughes because she says, Oh, how will you remove that tree from the seat? So, well, with the syringe, she says, Well, but will it hurt? And I go, Mrs. Hughes says, Well, since he has to do it, there's no point to that question. Which is true. Like, <laughs> Julian made a comment about that saying, yeah, because if you have to do it, like, there's no point to it. And he said that his mother wants someone, like, I don't know if he was a friend or from a family, but um, where she was about to give birth. And one woman said, really hurt. And I think it's, it's his mother who said, well, since the baby has to get out, <laughs> there's no point of asking if it will hurt or not. Because, I mean, whether it's yes or no, she will have to give birth and the baby will have to get out. So there's no point to the question, which, well, it's quite true, you know. So after that, because she doesn't know if she has cancer or not, but she still thinks that she might have, you see that she's elsewhere. I mean, it's completely understand understandable because even now, when someone says you have cancer, you're like, there's a chance you might die. So I can't even believe a hundred years ago what it must feel like to maybe have cancer. So she's elsewhere and Carson, he is upset because apparently, well, you know, she, because she was elsewhere, she didn't do her job properly and he's upset because no Carson, if it's not proper, it's Carson is all or nothing. We know it. And then Carson comes back and he's really angry. But Mrs. Hughes is also angry because he absolutely wants to do everything like he was before, but they can't because they do not have the staff, but enough staff to do exactly how it was before, which uh, makes sense. She's really angry. She said, well, we can't do things as it were. We can't do things properly because we need a kitchen maid. We need at least one housemaid. We need a footman. Like, we can't do things properly until, like, his lordship gives us, well, the staff that we need. Or until you, so Mr. Carson and Lady Mary, just calm down and realize that we can't do things properly because we do not have enough people to do it. And she's so right. Like, yes. Where Mr. Carson is like, okay, I assume you're overtired and that's why you speak to me in that way. You know, but Mrs. Patmore, she wants to tell him. She wants to tell him, well, no, it's just because, you know, she thinks she's ill. But Mrs. Hughes doesn't want her to say to Mr. Carson that she might be ill. And so Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Patmore are back at the hospital so that the doctor can take fluid from the cyst. Apparently, it's more complicated than he thought. And again, Mrs. Patmore. Oh, I love her. When he says that it's more complicated than he thought, she says, Oh my God. Mrs. Patmore, will you please leave the hysteria to me? I mean, these two, I love them. So apparently the free was not clear, so he sent it away for analysis and they have to wait, I think he said like one to two months. Well, it's very long to wait, like one or two months to know if you're going to die or not. We're all going to die, That's we know that, but you know. To wait to know if you have cancer or not. I think it's uh, long, but, you know, she doesn't have a choice. She has to wait. And so Dr. Clarkson, he says, well, until we know more, you need to put your foot down. <laughs> um, and Mrs. Hughes, well, she's like, yeah, like, like there's a chance of that happening. Like, not sure I can. And I like it uh, when Dr. Clarkson said, well, do you want me to talk to her ladyship? Because I can tell her that you might be ill and... And she doesn't want to, because of she doesn't want to appear ill. And I think she doesn't want pity or 
Yeah, so if I have to say something, I would tell her myself, but you know, but I like the fact that he says, I can say something, you know, if that's the problem. I think it's more like she doesn't want people to see her ill because there's no problem with Cora. Like we know that if he tells her to Cora, Cora would be like so nice. I mean, we remember that they sent Mrs. Papmo to an eye specialist, you know, for a sight. So if Mrs. Just might be ill, we know they're going to be nice to her. But I think it's more the, I want to appear ill and to have pity as long as I don't know if I am really ill. But then Carson, since he doesn't know, he's still uh, in his, um, you know, everything has to be proper and you can rest, you know, when everything is done. And since the dinner, it's a bit of a mess. <laughs> so like the big dinner turned into an indoor picnic. You know, Mrs. Hughes, at a moment, you see that she's a bit tired and Carson's like, well, you can rest later. And again, Miss Papa wants to say something, but Mrs. like, no, yes, you're right, you're right. Uh, I'll rest later. So again, <laughs> for uh, the whole putting your foot down, I'm, I'm not sure that's working right now. But then at the end, so Carson comes to see her. He tells her that his lordship sends his thanks because the dinner was apparently a success. Like you see that for him, it's a, he doesn't understand how it could have been a success because it's for him, it's not a dinner. Like it's not how it should be done. You know, because I, what was that? You know, where's the style? Where's the show? And Miss Hughes says, maybe people are tired of style and show. They want something new because it's 1920. I like when Carson says, well, in my opinion, to misquote Dr. Johnson, if you're tired of style, you are tired of life. Oh, God, I love this. And then he says that he's on her side. I think he felt like he was not really nice to her, but he said that, you know, deep down, he's on her side, even if he's a bit grumpy at times. And then she is with Mrs. Papel and she tells her that Carson said that the dinner was a success. And she still tells her that no, she doesn't want to say anything to Mr. Carson. And she says that you have to put things into proportion. Like one day I will die, he will die, you will die, everyone will die, you know. So she's trying to accept the fact that if she has to die from cancer, kind of accept the fact that yes, okay, that's what's going to happen. You know, so I don't think she wants to tell him. And she said uh, she doesn't want to appear ill because she doesn't know how many uh, like months or I don't know how many times she has left and she doesn't want to appear ill, which I can understand. And I love the last shot when she turns the lights off and it's the end of the episode. It's really simple and it's not new stuff, but I just like, you know, when they're putting the lights off and that's like, it's the end of the episode. <laughs> really, it's really silly, but I just like things like that. So yeah, so we just have to wait, see if Mrs. Hughes has cancer. I'm worried because I don't want Mrs. Hughes to have cancer because I don't want her to die like right now because she's one of my favorites. But so, like I said, we just have to wait and see. Bananas. Now, let's talk about Isabel. Because Isabel, she has a new occupation. At the beginning of the episode, when they're all at dinner, when Ma Mary and Matthew has, have come back, Martha is still here. So that means she has been here for more than a month because Mary and Matthew left for a month. So <laughs> she's been here for more than a month. But so Mary, she asked uh, Isabel, like, what, what did you do, you know? And she says she has a new occupation, but apparently Violet doesn't approve of this occupation. And Violet's like, well, can we talk about it, like, later? And Martha, obviously, she has to get into it. And she says, Are there still forbidden subjects in 1920? I can't believe this. I speak of taste rather than law. Well, it's not my taste. What about you, Cora? I agree with my mom. Some subjects are not suitable for every ear. Oh, pas devant les domestiques. <laughs> Come on, my dear. Carson and Alfred know more about life than we ever will. Can't we stop this? How? Like a runaway train. I love it because they, they all have finished to eat. You can see it. And she's still eating. When I said still eating, there's only crumbs in her plate and she's still eating them. Like, I've seen that. <laughs> At the end, the only thing that is left for you is to lick the, the plates, truly, like, but I love it. <laughs> I just love how she asks her daughter if she agrees, because Cora is really, like, I think the bridge between Martha and Violet, like between England and America, and maybe like the traditionalist English people and Americans like her mother. And when she says pas devant les domestiques, which means not in front of the servants, I just love that she keeps talking while eating. Yeah, you see the difference between Violet and Martha, and I just love it. And you still have 
Robert in the middle. And I love how he keeps talking with his mother, like, oh my God. Because at the beginning, he's like, yay, my mother. And you're like, oh my God. After I think after three days, he's like, when is she leaving? So then they're in the drawing room and Martha, Cora, Isabel and Edith are together. And Isabel explains what she is doing to Martha. And so Isabel, like Cora says, she helps women who had to degrade themselves to survive. So basically women that fell into prostitution. But I love in this conversation because, you know, they, so Martha's like, oh, what, what do you do with them? So first uh, we send them away to you know, get some rest. When Martha says, I think they need it, like it's the way she says it. It's funny because this whole conversation, if you look how Cora looks at her mother, sometimes she's like, oh God. I don't know, I think really in this conversation, you can, I think you can co- go back to 30 years ago when she was like engaged to Robert and she had to witness everything her mother said that she knew English people would not like. I don't know if you know what I mean. And then she says, So you want me to contribute? You don't have to give money after every conversation, Mother. No? Isn't that what the English expect of rich Americans? I think I said every episode, but I still want a prequel. I already said that sometimes Robert, when he's with his mother, he still feels like he's a young man or a young boy sometimes. But there's some moments, like tiny moments, but that you feel when Cora is with her mother, that you feel like she's a young girl again. So I really want to see that. Well, at this point, I take anything, even if he doesn't want to make a show or a movie, I take a book. If he wants to write a book, like a novel, I would read it. So at least I can put like young Hugh Bonneville and young Isabel McGovern as young Robert and young Cora. I take anything, really, at this point. Anyway, let's go back to Isabel and her new occupation. Isabel is in the street. And so you see some women that obviously are prostitutes. But one of them is Ethel. You remember Ethel, the maid that had a child with the soldier and all that? And when Ethel sees Isabel, she leaves. But Isabel, you see that she thinks she might have recognized her. Like, you know, like you see someone at first you don't pay attention, but then she, she stops and she's like, do I know her? She might have recognized her. And then later, Ethel actually comes to see Isabel in uh, the center where she is currently working. And she wanted to ask something. And Isabel, she recognized her. She said, oh, you're the maid that brought you child in a dining room at Downton. But then Ethel, she's like, well, actually, I'm not ready. And she leaves. So... Remember, I told you it was not the end of Ethel's story. Well, this is the continuation of her story. And so we will follow that because now Isabel has entered the equation. You know, we had Mrs. Hughes, now Isabel has entered the equation. So yeah, we will follow that in the next episode. Bananas. Now, Edith. Remember Edith? She saw Stralan again and she went to get closer to him. And remember all that, and he saved the day by exposing Larry Gray and all that. Well, during dinner, so the first dinner when Mary Matthew just came back from honeymoon, there was a deleted scene where Matthew, he asked Edith, what has she been up to when they were away? And Edith says, nothing much. I rather miss the war, really. But of course, one mustn't say that. And Cora says, Edith is a treasure. We have a dinner next week and I haven't had to lift a finger. So I like this tiny scene because Edith again says that she missed the war. Remember when the war was over, she said to Sybil that she didn't want him to go back. And then she, well, now she's rather alone right now because well, Sybil is um, in Ireland, Mary is married. She feels really lonely. And so well, she did what Sybil did first, you know, when Sybil wanted to do something, she helped with the concert back then at the beginning of season two before training to be a nurse. So that's so Edith kind of did what Sybil did. She said, okay, so there's a dinner, so you know what, I'm going to plan it because I don't know what to do and I feel useless and I'm bored. And then, in, so what we see in the episode, Mary asks her if she has seen Stralen, like poor old Stralen. And Edith, she's like, well, I don't know why you call him old or poor when he's neither. And Violet, she talks to Robert, she says, is it really a good idea to go on with all that nonsense? She feels a bit guilty because she's the one that brought Stralen back into Edith's life in the Christmas special. And, and Robert said, you know what? I don't think it's coming from him. And he's right because it's Edith that always call on him, that goes to his house. Like she's the one that said that she wanted to see more of him. And so Violet says, well, you need to ask him to end it because we can't let that continue. And then Edith, well, she is at Anthony Stralens 
she again says that she wants to see more of him. And Freya said, no, it's family time. Mary just come back from honeymoon. Like, why you want me here? And she keeps saying, and he's like, family. But he says, well, I'm not. I'm too old for you. You need the young chap, you know, like I'm old and I'm a cripple. Like, no. But she doesn't want to listen to him. And she invites him at dinner the same night. And Freya says, no. But then she's like, you are going to dinner tonight. So in the end, he accepts at dinner. Uh, well, Matthew, he's not in a white tie. He's in his dinner jacket. We'll talk about that later. He's trying to say, well, I quite like it. And it's quite a bit informal sometimes. And then Edith, she says, especially when a couple is alone. Like she says that in front of everybody. And you see Robert and Violet looking at each other like, okay. And even Strand, he's not totally comfortable about what she says. And so then after dinner in the library, Robert, he talks with Strand and he... But he asks him if he can stay away. And Sharon says, well, you know, I understand. The thing is, she's always coming back. I try to stay away and she's back. So, well, you know, I'm going to write a letter and, um, and tell her that I'm not going to go to dinner next week. And I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to write to her later. Like, it's best if we stop seeing each other. But he understands. He said, no, please. Like, Robert tries to tell him without being too harsh. But Sharon, he understands. No, you don't want your daughter to be married to a cripple who's far too old. It's uh, not a nice way to put it, but he says, I understand. And you know, I, I really like this scene because I don't think that Robert was uh, really pleased to say that because he knows that Edith is a bit too attached to Stralin. And I think he really likes Stralin. Like he kind of grew up with him, but the issue is that, and I, I don't think there's a lot of father that would be okay for their daughter to marry someone who's older than them, because I think it's not really the arm, the issue is also the age. Because if he was a younger man and a badam, he would say, well, he has badam, but that's okay. But now he's like, he has the badam and he's really too old. Like, and we can understand, like, really, I do understand Robert and understand Violet. Because even Stratton, he says, I know, like, I'm far too old, like, I'm not stupid. But I feel bad because you know that he really likes her. And I believe that Edith, she really likes him and she thinks she's in love with him. I don't know if she's actually in love with him, like, truly. But I feel... Them. I really feel for Stratton actually in that because he really looks like a nice chap, truly. He's just, yeah, I don't want Edith to get married to him either. But then at breakfast, Edith, she receives a letter where she's upset and she leaves. She's upset at her father. And Matthew's like, well, what was that? And Robert says, well, I think I know what he is. And then, well, she's crying outside on the bench with Martha. And Robert comes with Isis. And Martha is on Edith's side. You know what? I think they all have a point. When Edith says, Sybil marries the chauffeur and, and they go to Dublin, but you welcome him back at Downton. He says, I'm in love with the gentleman and you cast him away. He said, well, that's not exactly what happened. And Martha, she says, well, you know, plus apparently he has money, he has a title, he has a house, everything that you care about. And then I go, Martha, says, well, I don't mean to interfere. He's like, oh yeah, don't you? I'm sure you will. But to be honest, I don't think that Martha is really fair when she says everything that you care about. Maybe at the beginning of season one, that was all that Robert cared about. But you know, he's been through a murder trial, a war, and civil marriage. So I think it's absolutely not all that he cares about because he wanted Mary to be happy. And at the end, he was like, okay, because Carly was could offer her a lot. And he was like, you know, if he threatened you with ruin, just I don't want you to get married to him. And even when Matthew has proposed in season one, but we didn't know if he was still going to be the heir because Cora was pregnant. Still there, he was like, you know, if you get married to Matthew, I would be really happy, even if the guy was just a solicitor. So no, it's not everything that he cares about. Well, not anymore, that's for sure. Not after everything that happened. <laughs> so I think she's not really fair on that. Julian said something like, you know, Martha is more against him just for the fact of being against him because she just liked to be, which could be true. Because when Robert tells her, well, did she tell you that he's a quarter of a century too old? That's really the reason why I don't want her to marry him. But she's also right when she says, well, your daughter is sad and lonely because that is true. I think that Edith has always been in the middle and she never really, she never really got into trouble where she made trouble without them knowing that she made trouble with the whole letter to the Turkish ambassador. But in the end, you know, she was really like always in the shadows. You know, she's there and there's no trouble and everything. So I think they overlooked her, actually, truly. And obviously, as I say already, but obviously when a man, because he is a gentleman, he is a nice man. We have nothing against that. But he's a bit too old, true. But when someone like that comes and because I think he's really in love with her, obviously she's not going to cast him away. She never has that in her life. 
So yes, she wants to get married to one person that actually cares about her, that sees when she changes her hair. So yeah, I really feel for her. And I love when she says, How can you not like him because of his age? And almost every young man we grew up with is dead. Do you want me to spend my life alone? And I have to say, I agree. Because the war has killed so many men. And a lot of them were actually really young men. And then we had the Spanish flu. So you have many men that are dead. And most of them that they knew and were men of their age. It's like Sybil said last season when she said, uh, sometimes it feels like all the men that I ever danced with are dead. Feels like that. So obviously, like I said, because I think it's really the first man that really took interest in her, as in her Edith, as I did already. So for her, I think if, if I cast him away, I would never find anyone else in my life. When you see all the young men that I knew that now are dead, who I'm going to find that would be ready to marry me, me, Edith, not just me, maybe the daughter of the Earl of Grantham, you know? So I, I can't understand her. And I'm still on that, the fact that all that is because of the way she sees herself and all that it's a bit Cora and Robert's fault with the way they did treated her. Anyway. And so she begs her father to invite her in for uh, dinner again. And he accepts. I think he... He sees that she's, like, she doesn't want me to spend my life alone. He sees that she's sad, but he's afraid that maybe she's going to get married to him and in 10 years' time. She's going to realize that he was an old man and she'd be sad. I think there's a lot of that in it, you know. But she doesn't want to be unhappy, which I think is still, he just wants his daughter to be happy. And maybe he doesn't choose the right way to do it, but I think, you know, and it just shows that he cares. But it's funny because now... Sybil says, I'm in love with Tom Brent and I'm going to marry him. And he doesn't want to because he's the chauffeur and all that. Edith says, I'm in love with Anthony Shrine. He's like, but you can't because she's too old and all that. But they say, I'm in love with him. <laughs> he doesn't want to. But he married their mother for her money and he was not in love with her. So I thought it was quite funny in a way. You know, he wants what's best for her. But yeah, it's complicated. Julian, he made a comment which I thought was really funny. He says, Robert will be beaten because, as we all know, when every woman in the house is lined up against you, you don't really have a chance. <laughs> so then Stran is back for dinner and Violet's like, what is he doing here? And Robert's like, well, ah, that's because of my dear mother-in-law and I'm going to say something. And Violet's like, no, 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 you're not going to say something right now because we need her to be really in a nice place and why we're going to talk about it later. And then Edith and Stran are together and they talk and she kisses his cheek and you realize that they talk about getting married. She even says, oh, I can get ready in a month. I think Barbara is like, I will not, I want to get married right now before everyone has a chance to change their minds. So yeah, well, it's time for my music of the day because Edith doesn't have a lot of spotlight and I thought that it would be great to have a music of the day about her. And actually really this song makes me think about Edith. So yeah. So that was When the Wrong One Loves You Right by Celine Dion. And for me, it's, it's exactly <laughs> what Edith feels because the guy is really in love with her, but it's not the right person for her. So it's really like the wrong one, but who loves her right. But like I said, they talk about getting married. So not the end of Edith and Stralen. Absolutely not. Bananas. And now let's talk about Alfred, Thomas and the missing shirts. When Matthew is back from his honeymoon, it's Alfred who's looking after him. And Thomas is angry. So why is it not me? Because I am a valet. But Carson didn't want him. I mean, obviously, because it's Thomas. So we're going to talk about Alfred a lot. And by talking about Alfred, we have Thomas that comes in. We have Reed, Martha's maid in it. And then we have the missing shirts. In the kitchen, Alfred, he makes fun of Martha. You know when I said that she's literally eating the crumbs that are in her plate? Where he laughs, he says, well, I mean, I think she would eat whatever you put in front of her. 
And Reese, she's like, well, you know, it's okay. She knows you make fun of her, but she makes fun of you too. So, you know, that's all right. And Alfred, he wants to clean a stain on Matthew's table, but he can't do it. And so Thomas says, well, I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you some advice. And you know that that does not sound good because it's Thomas. Then with Reed again, I remember he winks at her and she says, well, I think he likes me. Daisy feels that she might be a tiny jealous. No, he's just friendly, that's all. And so the coat, Thomas advice. Well, Alfred burned the coat, like he burned the hole in the coat. So Matthew, he has to wear his dinner jacket. And you see, Alfred, he is really, um, he does not feel good. And Matthew's like, come on, nobody's died, you know. Just, I'm going to get my dinner jacket. That's why he has his dinner jacket during the second dinner. When, you know, Strand says that he quite liked dinner jacket because it's nice to be informal sometimes. And so Matthew says at dinner that Alfred and, and he had a bit of a disaster that he burned a hole in the coat. And when Carson hears that, he's with Robert. Robert is serving himself. Carson, he's like standing up and, and Robert's like, oh, 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 calm down. Like, hey, let me, let me uh, take my food. I just love this tiny because Carson's like, what, what is happening? Like nobody died, really. But then Carson, Carson, he's a drama queen. We already know. Like he's so like want everything to be proper. Like in the end, it's almost funny. Like really, drama queen. In the seventh hall, he's really angry at, at Alfred. He says because of him, Mr. Matthew had to appear at dinner in a state of undress, something like that. Like it's just a dinner jacket. Like the guy that came in. Well, I mean, Carson is like Violet. So for them, dinner jackets like um, dressing gown or pajamas. <laughs> Again, Carson, drama queen. But then Alfred, he says that it's Thomas who told him to. Well, it's because of him that he burned a hole in the in the tail. And Thomas said, like, well, uh, if you don't know how to use it, that's not my fault. Well, obviously, we know that he did it on purpose. Like, we're not stupid. And so uh, then uh, when Alfred is with O'Brien, they see the product that Thomas has given him. And, and apparently Thomas has given him the wrong product. So O'Brien says, well... You know, I believe you. And well, you see, O'Brien, she's angry. And well, that is not a good sign. And when Thomas is with Robert in his dressing room, getting him ready for bed, um, he says that um, Alfred, he can't really manage. You know, he's, not, he's not a valet, he's you know, just a footman, he just started, you know, and it's, it's best if they just ask Mr. Mosley to come. And Carson, he says to Alfred that Mosley will, will attend Mr. Matthew, so he doesn't need to do it anymore. So O'Brien, uh, she's angry. And she says that she wants revenge. And after he really feels bad, it's not the end of the world, but in the end, he did nothing wrong, actually, just because of Thomas. I quite feel bad for him. And Reed comes and she says that she's on his side. And then she kisses him. And Daisy, she sees that. And then, so, O'Brien said that she wants revenge. Well, Reed sees O'Brien in the corridor with shirts. Then we have Thomas coming into the kitchen, panicking and asking for Alfred. Seven, so, so he has Alfred, where are Robert's evening shirts? So the shirts that we saw that O'Brien took, it was actually Robert's shirts. Obviously, to get at Thomas, if there's no shirts to dress Robert with, like, uh, yeah, it's, it would be Thomas' fault because he's uh, Robert's valet, so he's the one who takes care of his clothes. And well, Alfred is like, well, I haven't taken anything. O'Brien, she literally twists the knife and she's oh, really? Are you telling me that his daughter's not even dressed when her ladyship is already in the drawing room? Thomas is panicking. And then we have one of my favorite scenes of this episode. And one of my favorite scenes ever. We're in the dressing room. Thomas is with Robert and his naked chest. He has no shirt, so he only has his dressing gown with nothing underneath. Well, I don't know what's underneath, like under the navel. We only see the top of his body, so yeah. But we have never seen that much skin. So, I mean, it's quite nice. But what I love is the whole conversation because why well, Thomas is panicking because he doesn't know where the shirts are. And Robert's like, well, you can't have lost them all. Like, and Thomas says, well, no, but I think someone took them, you know, to get at me. Like it's a prank or something. And then Robert, he says to Thomas, Are you not popular downstairs? To be honest, I think I find maybe even more funny that it actually is because I've seen so many gifs and memes around this scene and Robert with his naked chest saying to Thomas, are you not popular downstairs? Like, I'm sorry, but why well, it makes me laugh. And so obviously Thomas doesn't want to say no because it was not really good 
to know that some servants were not popular because then it would cause some friction between the servants and so the house well, it would not be a good place to work so it's not good for you if you are not popular like oh you like you cause trouble you know so obviously thomas doesn't want to say uh, that he's not popular he just say well it's a joke and the question is what are we going to do well the only thing that is left for him to do is to get down with his dinner jacket and so really funny because we're going to talk about this whole dinner later but mary wants this dinner to be perfect mary and violet and so she absolutely wants matthew to have his white tie but matthew has no white tie because he sent it to his tailor but it never came back on time so he wore his dinner jacket and now robert doesn't have his dress shirt so he has to come down in a dinner jacket so mary and violet are absolutely not pleased because it's not what it was supposed to be you know like what what, what is it and i don't think i'm not sure now but i don't think robert has ever worn his dinner jacket while his mother was here you know because the last time he said that oh i almost came down in a dinner jacket she said oh why not a dressing gown? I better say pajamas. Remember? And so Martha, when she sees that, obviously she finds it funny. And she says, Oh, you two are dressed for a barbecue. And I feel like a Chicago bootlegger. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds almost as peculiar as you look. But I love it because Martha, when she says that, it's really to twist the knife again, you know. It's really to make a joke because she knows they're not supposed to be dressed like that. And at first... I think she would not care at all if they were dressed in a dinner jacket or a white tie. But I think because she knows that it matters to like Violet or even Mary, she just has to say something about it. I love it. And then about well, this dinner jacket again, we have one of the funniest Violet lines when, well, Mary and Violet had a plan. We're going to talk about it after that. But the plan, well, nothing but right. And so at the moment, really, she's exhausted. She says, What do you think I might have a drink? Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were a waiter. And I love it because Julian said that, but I think the same, that it's funny because we do believe that she knows it was Robert, but she just says it as a joke. Like to, again, say, oh, you're not dressed properly. <laughs> but it's so funny because Robert's face, like, what? But so, about the shirts. Reed says to Alfred that she knows who took them and where they are. And if he wants, she can tell him where they are. She doesn't want to say who it is, which I think is quite nice because if he knows that it was his aunt, well, that could have been a bit of trouble, but, you know. And he's like, oh, so really, you're really nice to me. At first, he, he thought that she just wanted to get information for Martha, but she said, no, but I like you. And I just like when she then, so they talk, and she says to him, kiss me again. And I thought it was quite funny because actually, at first, she's the one who kissed him. So, yeah. Just thought it was happening. But anyway, they kiss. And Daisy, she sees that. And then Daisy, she asks Alfred why does he like this Miss Reed. And he says, well, because she makes me feel good by myself. So I like her. But you see that actually Daisy, she's a tiny bit jealous. So she might have feelings for Alfred or starting to have some. But then the shirts... They're back because Alfred, he has a shirt in his hands. He, he's taken up for his lordship. And Thomas, he comes and says, who put them back? And no one wants to say. Those shirts are back. And so that would be my French word of the day. Shirt. It's also my title, the missing shirts. Actually, I hesitated between the one with the missing shirts or the one with the indoor picnic. When I asked my friend, he said, well, the missing shirts, I don't know why it makes it a bit funnier. And I so do love those scenes. <laughs> actually that scene of Robert in his dressing room so I thought it was really funny and it would be my French word of the day too so shirt in French is chemise it's written c-h-e-m-i-s-e and it's feminine so it's une chemise so shirt it's chemise and now to end this episode let's talk about the big storyline like the the big intrigue of this episode well since last episode you know the big problem is well robert lost the money so they might lose downton and well right now they don't know how what to do to save it because matthew is not sure that he is reggie twice heir but even if he is he doesn't want to use the money because you know he would be profiting from lavinia's death and you know now we we know the song so this really big um storyline involves well obviously robert in this episode, it was a bit of Matthew, but especially Mary, Violet, and Martha. 
But to talk a bit about Mary and Matthew, who are back from their honeymoon with a car. And Matthew is driving the car. I love this first show. I think it's really nice. It really feels like you have entered a new age. You know, I love it. But then a little exchange between Robert and Matthew. Robert asks Matthew, how was the honeymoon? And he answers, my eyes have been opened. Don't I know it? And I know there have been a lot of talk around this exchange. So Julian, he made a comment about it and I thought it was really interesting. It's quite long, but well, I thought it was really interesting. And you know me, I can't summarize. So when I think everything is interesting, for me, everything is interesting. So I can't cut it. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. He says, several people involved in a production were shocked by this, saying that it wasn't very downtown to make a vulgar reference. I suppose they thought it's smutty or something. But an absolute hallmark of the upper classes is that they don't have any worries about that stuff at all. And so I quite deliberately put in a bit of slighty naughty joshing because it would be standard. I suppose I was dealing with bonbora morality, which was affronted by the exchange, or at least assumed that the Crowleys would be affronted by it. But this isn't true. They have their own rules. Here, the men have separated themselves from the others because that was always the thing, not to make a risque joke in mixed company. My father once said to me, you can tell an improper joke to a lady, but she must be on her own with you. What you must never do is embarrass a woman by telling a dirty joke in mixed company. If you're alone with her, you can say what you like. That remains right to this day. So I thought it was interesting because I know a lot of people thought it was a bit, yeah, too naughty or I don't know. I think the whole thing was that he said that with Robert. I think because obviously Robert has a bit of a modest, prudish kind of man. So talking about that because especially because he's talking about his daughter at the moment, technically, because he is, he's married to his daughter. They thought it was quite um, not really true to character. So I thought the explanation of Julian was quite interesting. Then there, were, there was actually a scene that was cut where Mary, she asked her mother if she told Edith that they might sell Downton. Well, Cora says that Robert told her and that he also told his mother. And obviously Mary says, well, that can't have been easy. And Cora, she answers that he felt sick for a week. And I don't know why. I would love to see that week where he felt sick. If I need to say it to my mother. And Cora said, well, you need to say it to her. He's like, well, but I can't say it. Like, we, him feeling sick. And the moment he told her, I, I wish we could have seen that, really. But so, they, so everybody knows. Well, everybody knows except the servants, actually, right now. Well, no, some servants knows, obviously. Like, Anna, she knows because Mary told her. But I think she's the only servant that actually knows. What I like is the, at the beginning of the episode, Violet, she is fed up with Martha. You can see it. And I, I quite love it because at first she's fed up and then, you know, she, she wants to use her, you know, in her plan. But so at the beginning, I love it when she says to Robert, like between her teeth, like, how long is she here for? Like, really? When is she going home? And she says to Robert, New guests should be admitted without the date of their departure settled. You won't get any argument from me. I really, really love it because it's really like the team, like they're together, like, oh my God, when is she leaving? Because I think with time, really, Violet, she got used to Cora, but like Martha, every time she's like, no, no, Cora, okay. Her mother, no, please, no. Um, but then let's talk about the lost money. When Robert and Matthew are alone in the drawing room, apparently Robert, he opened a nice bottle for Matthew and he said that he did it to welcome him into this house as his son, which I think is very, very nice and very sweet. And I know how he says that he's, while he's stroking Isis, who has her head on his lap, like, I think it's really sweet. And I talk about the lost money. And then in the drawing room, Mary and Violet, they talk about the lost money too. And Violet says, but haven't, haven't we overlooked something, you know, maybe some money somewhere that we might have. And Mary, at that moment, she looks at her, other grandmother and she's like well i know someone who might have money i love their look when so at the same time they talk together we have martha talking with isabel cora and edith and you know that she said isn't that what uh, english expect of rich americans when she says that the look that mary and Violet exchange together like mm-hmm so you understand that they might have a plan and back into the dining room Robert, he doesn't really understand why Matthew can't benefit from the win, really. And I think part of him can't understand because, well, he will have a lot of money and they need it. 
because Matthew will be the Earl. So it's almost, I think, almost not a betrayal, but you will be the Earl and you have the opportunity to stay at Downton, so to stay there, but you won't. You know what I mean? Like, but in the end, he's like, well, if it's what you think, we're not going to talk about it anymore. And, you know, you're just going <laughs> to skip the subject. And, well, now Matthew, he's in Mary's room. So, you know, remember Mary, who said to her parents, really smart people sleep in separate rooms? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, she's sleeping with Matthew. So, I mean, okay. He says that he wants to speak with Jarvis to see what houses are available for the two of them. And Mary, I first said, why do you have to do that when it might be all our days at Downton? And she keeps twisting the knife too, you know, when she says, well, you're the one pushing us out. And she keeps saying, you know, that it's all his fault. So I think she's not completely angry at him. She doesn't understand at all his reasons, but she loves him. But she, she keeps twisting the knife. So at the end, I understand her a bit, but I'm like, you know, can you give the guy some rest? Because I'm not sure that just saying it again and again will make him change his mind. But anyway. And in the morning, Violet, she comes to see Mary. Like, you're not used to see Violet in the morning, you know? Last time she came, it was because of the war. So now that means it's really important. But they make a plan so that Martha will save Downton. And Mary says, well, I think it's a good idea because she has a lot of money and there's only Mama and Howard to share when she's gone. And Violet, she says, we can't wait that long. She looks as if she'll bury us all. No, we must act now. We must make her feel it is her duty to save Downton. So they make a plan and Mary says, well, we come for tea and we can begin to make her feel that. Like I said, it is her duty to save Downton, to save a house like this. And about that, Julian made a comment that, that I really liked. And uh, well, again, I'm going to read it to you. He says, Mary's plotting with Violet to get the money out of Martha seems to me emotionally valid. Because the only reason that Violet tolerated Martha in the first place was because of the money that was coming into the family. And now that the money has been lost, it is only reasonable to expect her to contribute some more. I've always made the relationship between Violet and Cora one of respect rather than adoration. Violet would rather Robert had married the niece of one of her friends, but she has accepted that the money meant that the union was important and necessary. But it is still not the way she'd have liked things, and the fact that her son is happy with Cora doesn't really weigh as heavily as you would think it might. And then he adds, this is entirely drawn from my experience. Well, actually, I've, I think my favorite part of this comment is the fact that Robert is happy with Cora doesn't really weigh as heavily as you might think for Violet. But I like it, you know, the fact that she only, like she only tolerates Martha because she was made of money. And then Mary, before going to her grandmother for tea, She's with Matthew and we learn that he's definitely Reggie's heir. But he still doesn't want to take the money. And again, Mary, she says, well, maybe you would change your mind. And he says to her, but if your father understands, why can't you? He said, well, I don't think he understands at all. He just doesn't want to beg, which I think is true. And so they are the Dower House, Martha, Cora and Mary with Violet. And after they talk about Harold. At Cora, she wants to know what he's doing now. She wants to know if he's happy. And apparently his idée fixe is yachts. Like he's in love with yachts. You're like, okay. Um, and then, you know, they talk in Violet. But it always seems weird for me that Cora has a brother because obviously in England, if there's a boy, the daughters don't get anything. You know, and Violet says, well, there's no such thing as an English heiress with a brother. And then this whole conversation is just priceless. I love it so much. That I thought I would just give it a whole for you because it's just so good. Why do we never see him? Oh, Harold hates to leave America. Curious. He hates to leave America. I should hate to go there. You don't mean that, Granny, when we're both so drawn to America. Indeed, indeed we are. Never more than now, when the bond between the Crawleys and the Levinsons is so strong. That's nice. If you mean it, Ma. I do. It is marvellous the way our families support each other. You mean you needed the Levinson cash to keep the Crawleys on top? I'm not sure we'd put it that way. I'm quite sure we would not. But I hope you do feel that Mama's fortune has been well spent in shoring up an ancient family. Now you gotta spend it on something. Oh God, I love this scene so much. Because Cora, she senses that there's something wrong. 
Because when Violet says, you know, uh, when the bond between the Crawleys and the Levis is so strong, her face, how she looks at her, we say, well, that's so nice if you mean it. Like, uh-huh. When Mary, she keeps, you know, saying, I hope you do feel that Mama's fortune has been well spent, you know, all that. Cora, she's like, what the hell is happening? Like, she senses that there is something. But I believe that Martha, she's not stupid at all. She knows that there's something too. But I just love it because it's not the smoothest way to do it. I don't know. I just, yeah, I just love this scene. Because then at dinner, Mary and Violet, they insist on the fact that Downton is important. But like they insist so much, like you sense there is something because it doesn't feel very smooth and they insist way too much. It doesn't feel natural. And then when Mary and Matthew, they talk about it when they're together in their room, but the point of this big dinner, they want her grandmama to help them again. And then like when she says, well, granny wants to try or die in the attempt. And then when she says to Matthew, since it's because of you that we are in this situation, because you could help and you don't want to, I will not take any criticism. And that's why she absolutely wants him to have his taste, so the dinner could be perfect. And then seeing Kra and Mary there in the drawing room, and they talk about all that. And... I'm so happy because Cora's dress, I completely forgot. It, it's a dress that we saw when the Bryans came for the first time at downtown, when Ethel came into the dining room. It's the same dress. And I loved that dress on her. And I, I forgot that we see that dress again. So I was really happy to see that dress again because I love it. It's really, really beautiful. Oh, and I love her. Anyway. And well, Cora does not not agree with uh, Mary. She says, well, you know, my father gave a lot of money already to downtown when i married your father i don't see why they need to give more like you know it's not my mother's fault it's not my brother's fault if we lost the money you know it's not the end of the world <laughs> and mary again she says well that's the difference because i'm english you're american so you don't understand these things you know so every time she does not agree with her mother that's a favorite thing to say you're american i'm english you don't understand but Christ says you know if we sell we will move to another house we don't have to go down the mine and i love it because really it's true and again i say what i say last episode but even if she has always or almost always lived with a lot of money i think she doesn't care because all that she wants is to live with robert so if it's if they're together in a little cottage i think she would be really happy and so we have this big big dinner Violet arrives early and I just have this tiny scene because Mary, she's so excited. Like she comes to fetch come look at what we've done. And Violet says, well, nothing succeeds like excess. And like, oh, I mean, when she's going to see that, she would not want to see all of this, you know, go away. And it's really funny because I'm going to say something to Mary. By that, you can see that, yes, she is English, but she forgot that her grandmother is American. So she does not care at all about all that. So I think the whole point of making her see Downton on parade and see the reprint of Downton and that they should not sell because of that, I think truly Martha, she doesn't care. She doesn't care if people are wearing dinner jackets or white tie. I think she really doesn't care. So I'm not sure that their plan was the best one. But through the episode, we realized that the oven was not working properly. And then we see lots of guests arriving and then we have a problem. The oven is broken. And then when Mrs. Padmore uh, summarized quite well the situation. We've 20 lords and ladies in the drawing room waiting for dinner and we've got no dinner to give them. And so trouble, the oven is broken down. What are we going to do? Obviously Mary and Violet, especially Mary, is like, oh my God, but this is awful. <laughs> what are we going to do? Martha, she says, well, you know what? All the guests, they want a party. I'm not going to give them a party. We're going to have an indoor picnic. When she says that, Carson, he looks horrified. Robert, he looks quite horrified too. But Isabel, she's like, oh, it will be fun. Cora, she thinks it will be fun too, because obviously that's the American in her. Like, I think he just came back with all that. You have Martha saying, I know what we need. Can someone play the piano? Like, really, she saved the dinner, actually. She saved the evening. But Mary and Violet are not really pleased. And Mary said, well, that's not what we wanted to do. But Crush says, well, if this is the end of your indignified campaign, I won't be sorry. Oh, and that's when, you know, we have uh, Violet saying to Robert, uh, I thought you were a waiter. And what I like is that it's really a moment of crisis. And in the kitchen, we have Anna, Mosley, Alfred, Reed, they all help, you know, to prepare this kind of buffet for uh, the guests. But the guests, they all love the idea of the picnic. 
because Martha said, well, you can take whatever you want to eat and you can eat whatever you want in the castle. <laughs> Robert is like, oh my God. And in the drawing room, Martha, oh my God, this is the most iconic scene ever. Martha, she sings, let me call you sweetheart. I'm in love with you. She's singing to Violet. But Violet, she, well, I think she, she's pretending that she's asleep, you know, so she can avoid Martha, but it's a fail. And Martha, very dramatically, like it's very dramatic, when she sings that to her and then she kisses her hand, oh my God, this moment. But I love when you have this scene, Carson and Robert, they look at each other like, oh my God. And then Martha, she's with uh, Violet and Mary and she says at first that she will help them. But actually they misunderstood her because she can't give them money. She can't help them save Downton because she can't touch the capital. Apparently her late husband tied the money up just like Robert's father did. So she can't give them money. I feel like, are you really sh sure that you want to get on with all this? And maybe it's a sign that sh you should, you know, sell and try something new. But Mary's like, no, I'm quite sure I want to uh, keep Downton. But like I said, Martha says that she can't help them the way they wanted her to. And then we have one of my favorite scenes of this episode, but of the whole show. Robert is in the library. It's after the dinner. So Robert, he just wants to enjoy a bit of quiet and a nice drink in the library. And Martha is here. And when she says that all this made her feel homesick for America, so she thinks it's time for her to go home. Robert, well, he's not going to argue with that. And so um, he offers her some whiskey and she tells him that she's sorry that she can't help him keep Downton. And you see, at first, he doesn't understand. He's what are you talking about? And she tells him that it's what Mary wanted. He's like, okay, I thought there was something. I just think it's odd that Cora never didn't say anything to him because she knew before uh, that moment that that was Mary and Violet's plans. So I'm wondering why she didn't say anything to Robert, maybe because she doesn't want to say anything to hurt him because it's his fault, technically, that they're going to set down him. But anyway, I love the conversation that they have, the two of them, really, because that moment she doesn't really try to tease him I just love this moment because it feels like you see another side of Martha almost like I don't know um maybe because I'm, I'm still making prequels in my head okay and we know that Martha is really extravagant but I believe deep down that she really 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 cares about her daughter and I don't know why but in my head there might be at least once there might be one moment like at this one where she talked with Robert like really heart to heart about the fact that she was worried about her daughter and the fact that she was going to leave her on the other side of the ocean or something like that. I don't know why this scene makes me think that, uh, you know, I think it's a really nice scene where, and I don't know why it makes me think that you see another side of her and that it might not be the first time that they have almost a heart to heart conversation. Not completely, but you know, because she tells him. You know, the way to deal with the world today is not to ignore it. If you do, you'll just get hurt. Sometimes I feel like a creature in the wilds whose natural habitat is gradually being destroyed. Some animals adapt to new surroundings. It seems a better choice than extinction. I don't think it is a choice. I think it's what's in you. Well, let's hope that what's in you will carry you through these times to a safer shore. And then she wants to, um, like when you raise a toast. And so he does it, but in the aristocracy in England, you don't clink your glasses. And she's waiting for him to clink the glasses, but he does not do it. So she's the one doing it. And just this tiny moment, I don't know, because he's startled when she does it. I don't know, I think it was really funny because she was waiting like, okay, I'm going to do it or not. And so she does it for him. And yeah, I thought this scene was really sweet. And yeah, I don't know why it makes me think about maybe they might have other conversations like that, but I think he might. I don't know if we're going to have a prequel or not, so I'm making it in my head. Okay, and I'm reading a law because, well, you have to do what you have to do, you know, to, to keep going, okay? But yeah, on that note, that is the end of this episode. I hope you like it. As usual, if you want to chat with me, you can send me a message anywhere. If you want to react on something I said, or if you want to give me your own prequels ID, like, surely we should write something all together. And then we send it to you and say, hey, we made the script for you. You don't need to do it. We just made it. Hey, that's so easy. We should make it, you know. I don't know how, but we should definitely make it. I think write the story. 
we should write it as a novel maybe you know and then we sell it and then we're going to be really rich because of who want to read it we should do that maybe i just have the best idea ever because i've read so many prequel stories that i'm in my own in my head so i have my own things maybe if we just take all the, our ideas together we write some huge thing together and then we have it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> really okay don't mind me i blame the heat okay Oh, anyway, uh, like I said, I hope you liked it. And I will see you next Sunday to talk about episode three of season three of Downton Abbey. And this one, it kind of breaks my heart. Episode three, it breaks my heart a bit, truly. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. Until then, stay safe, take care of yourself, stay hydrated, and don't forget... Vive la différence! Uh -huh.